Hello, and welcome to the Heartlands Touche Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. There is a new book on the market titled Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure by previous guest Steve Gorham. Steve Gorham is Executive Director of the Climate Science Coalition of America, a longtime policy advisor to the Heartland Institute, and the author of four books on climate, energy, and sustainable development, with over 100,000 copies in print. He's here to discuss his latest book, Green Breakdown, which was released on August 1st. Steve, thanks for being with us. Hey, Sterling. Great to join you again. So, Steve, you've been on our show multiple times before, but it has been a while. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, please tell us a little a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came to work on climate and energy issues, and what the Climate Science Coalition of America is and does. Okay, great. Uh, so I was uh, 30 years in the electronics industry and manufacturing industry, uh, 24 of those years at Motorola. Uh, back in 2008, I became an out-of-work business executive and was not able to find a job at uh, the level I had without moving out of the area. So I uh, thought about uh, researching and writing, writing books, and looked for topics and uh, read all of Al Gore's books about the coming climate crisis, decided he did, did not uh, have the right facts. <laughs> and so I decided to uh, start working on that. Uh, fairly shortly, I realized that uh, I wasn't going to be able to support myself by just writing books, so I became a professional public speaker uh, and I now speak to to uh, energy, transportation, metals, agriculture, all sorts of different groups. And um, also I've written four books, as you mentioned. Uh, along the way, Tom Harris, uh, who is head of the International Climate Science Coalition, asked me to uh, become the executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America, which is a, a bit of a just a it's kind of a subsidiary of the International Climate Science Coalition, which also has branches in New Zealand and Australia. And so for the last 15 years, I've been working on climate and energy and uh, sustainable development and, and uh, trying to uh, help set the world on sensible energy policy and a sensible understanding of climate science, which uh, I'm pretty sure that you know is, uh, is uh, uh, very much needed now. We have a world that is uh, spending um, we have 180 heads of state of the nations of the world that have accepted the theory of man-made climate change. The world is spending almost a trillion dollars a year to try and on renewables to try and stop w- global warming. And both of those really are are uh, uh, a not correct and b fruitless. So uh, uh, continue to work in that area. Well, Steve, what motivated you to write Green Breakdown? By which I mean. What do you believe is missing from the discussion of the so-called green energy transition being forced down our throats by the Biden administration and wealthy elites that your book was meant to provide or fill the gaps in understanding of? So the world is is driving for net zero. Uh, net zero means uh, net zero carbon dioxide emissions. Most have a goal of 2050, most uh, cities and states and nations to eliminate carbon dioxide emissions and and basically carbon dioxide is emitted when we do any construction any uh combustion uh from our vehicles from our industry uh even when people exhale <laughs> about to say, it, it's 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 uh, uh emitted 24 hours a day as we breathe yeah <laughs> yeah about two pounds a day for each person so uh, we are carbon-based life forms 
And anyway, the world is is heading for this uh, green energy transition. And so Green Breakdown was written to discuss the energy transition and all facets of it, including uh, power plants and utilities, uh, appliances in the home, uh, transportation, electric vehicles, heavy transportation, uh, like ships and planes, heavy industry, also talking about the war on hydrocarbons and prospects for a hydrogen economy and, and carbon dioxide capture and storage. And, the, and then the book also discusses the recent uh, energy crisis in Europe, which is brought on by green policies uh, with an idea to, to basically, A, research it, explore it, and B, point out that uh, it's not going to achieve the goals of, of becoming net zero, and eventually it's going to break down here and people are going to push back against uh, this whole idea. So that's uh, that's what the book describes. And I go out on a limb and make a few predictions <laughs> about what's going to happen in the, in the future about the breakdown. Um, but uh, that's that's pretty much what it's about. Well, so you've you've hinted at it, but in particular, why do you believe the green energy transition is problematic and leading the world into trouble or a breakdown, as you call it? Well, there are all these all these uh, proposed renewables to eliminate coal, oil, and natural gas that we use today. Um, uh, oil, uh, uh, fuel from oil, for example, powers 91% of, of the vehicles in the world right now, and about another 4% are powered by natural gas. We have biofuels powering about 3% and electric powering about 1%. Uh, most of the world's electricity, um, about uh, 60% of the U.S. electricity comes from natural gas and coal, and that's roughly what it is in the world, probably a little higher in some places, lower in Europe. Uh, and so we have these uh, hydrocarbons, which are the basis of modern society that power. And, and by the way, our heavy industries use vast amounts of hydrocarbon, uh, steel, fertilizer, chemicals. Uh, those industries uh, re require uh, use uh, much, much hydrocarbons, much uh, combustion and uh, uh, very large emissions of carbon dioxide. And so the, the, uh, the green energy transition is, is, uh, has proposed to replace that use with wind and solar uh, for uh, electrical utilities with uh, biofuels for other transportation. Um, but these products can't do things, for example, like produce uh, the 6,000 products that we use every day that come in, in chemicals I mean, people's shoes and their clothes and their smartphones are all made out of hydrocarbons, plastic, and other sorts of things, and they're transported as well. Matter of fact, wind, solar, and wind and solar, uh, uh, wind turbines and solar panels are also transported by hydrocarbons and assembled by hydrocarbons. So the, the transition is not going to occur. It's going to be very, very expensive. It's going to fall short in in capability, and as you say, it is going to lead the word, world into trouble. Yeah, you know, they haven't. Uh, as far as I know, they haven't uh, shown wind or solar's ability to uh, fertilize crops. That right. uh, natural, you know, fertilizers or to fight pests, which fertilizers and, and pesticides use oil and gas. They they haven't shown how wind and solar uh, make up plastic. Uh, they are uh, trying to go back to sales in ships, different kinds of sales, but yeah. still. Sales. We'll see Crazy. how that works out. Uh, uh, I, I won't get on an airplane that runs on wind or solar power. Uh, 
unless I'm in a hang glider for a very short period of time, I'm certainly not going across the ocean. <laughs> so it's it's a little puzzling how they think they're going to pull this off. So, but we are constantly told that we must transition to non-emitting green energy sources to prevent catastrophic climate change. Based on your research, is that true? Well, that is that is uh, the amazing part about this. The foundation for this energy transition is based on the the theory of uh, man-made uh, global warming, which states that greenhouse gases emitted by our industries, primarily carbon dioxide and a little bit of methane, are enhancing the greenhouse effect and causing dangerous warming. And indeed, my first two books, Climatism and the Mad, Mad, Mad World of Climatism, discuss uh, th those theories in detail. I have one chapter in Green Breakdown that talks about that, but the the whole basis for the energy transition is to eliminate CO2 emissions and try and uh, stop this dangerous global warming. Uh, the thing is that that uh, this is flawed in many, many ways. Uh, if you look at the actual uh, greenhouse effect itself, uh, you learn fairly quickly that uh, water vapor is Earth's dominant greenhouse gas, water vapor and clouds, not methane, not carbon dioxide. and uh, about uh, 98 or 99% of Earth's greenhouse effect is caused by natural factors. Uh, Earth's industries only provide about 1% or 2% of the gas that would be causing the greenhouse effect, very, very small. Further, the, the, the outgoing infrared radiation, which is absorbed by greenhouse gases, uh, that absorption is saturated. Uh, Dr. William Happer has has pointed that out in a number of papers, which means that if you add a little, even if you add a lot of CO2 to the atmosphere, you get almost no change. If you double atmospheric carbon dioxide, if our industries would do that or a combination of natural plus industries, double atmospheric CO2, we would only see about a 1% a change, very, very small. Nevertheless, the world feels that this is a big problem. Uh, but the, but the, the the bottom line is that we're spending trillions of dollars, a trillion a year, many trillions over many years, and this is not likely to have a measurable effect on global temperatures. So the whole basis for the energy transition is really flawed and fa and false. Matter of fact, we might have a couple decades of cooling coming up. Uh, we'll just have to see. It's very difficult to predict global temperatures, but they are dominated by natural factors, not man-made emissions. Now, Greg, another thing we're we're often told about the transition is that uh, wind and solar energy are cheaper cheaper than electric power sources. That uh, um, you know sometimes they're producing energy and it's it's virtually free. We get we get I was going to say we get a lot of that virtually free energy here in Texas, but the truth is, it turns out <laughs> when our grid almost fails, that they are producing almost no energy at all. So it doesn't matter right. how cheap it is when they're operating. If they're not operating, it ain't cheap to us. <laughs> no, it isn't. So, and, um, and you do, you, you, know, you see a lot of headlines saying that that wind and solar are cheaper than coal or natural gas or whatever. These are marginal costs. They say once they're in place to to turn on the wind turbine, very low cost because they're not using fuel. The problem is, though, that that doesn't do it for an electricity system. Electricity system has to be reliable. It has to operate at night. It has to operate when the wind isn't blowing. It has to operate during winter months. And wind and solar get about half the output in the winter that they do in the summer. 
So the best evidence is is a couple items. One is to look at electricity prices in Europe. I've been plotting a graph for about six years, which uh, graphs the residential electricity price on the horizontal axis and the wind and solar capacity on the vertical axis of a nation, the watts per person. Now, if wind and solar were the cheapest, you would expect the nations that have the most wind and solar per person to have the lowest electricity costs, but it's exactly opposite. The nations that have the most wind and solar installed have the highest electricity costs. Uh, Denmark and Germany have electricity prices that are about three times the U.S. price and amongst the highest in the world, and they have, have the biggest amounts of wind and solar. We see a similar thing in the United States. I use a metric that that shows the top 12 wind states, and it shows uh, how electricity prices have been increasing over a little more than the last decade. And in eight of those 12 states, the electricity price in the wind states has been rising faster than the national average. National average increases up about 27% in 14 years, but eight of the uh, 12 wind states have prices up uh, 35 to more than 70%. And so it's it's clear that putting in wind causes your prices to rise very fast. Another example is California. California is the highest of the lot. <laughs> their, their electricity prices are up 73% in 14 years. They recently passed up all of New England who have high prices, and they're now second in the nation, uh, 26 cents per kilowatt hour just behind Hawaii. And that's because of all the wind and solar that they have in place. So the real data shows that uh, installing wind and solar, because they're intermittent and because you have to build transmission out to uh, remote locations, is more expensive than uh, traditional uh, electricity and traditional fuels. And by the way, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. We're going to have, as states put more and more wind and solar in, they're going to have much, much higher prices. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the trend lines, uh, states that have uh, renewable portfolio standards, renewable energy mandates, have higher energy in, in general, almost universally, than states without them. And as those states with the mandates have increased the percentage of wind and solar uh, demanded uh, by the legislature, uh, their rates have risen faster than the states uh, yep. that, that haven't been raising their mandates. So it's, uh, it's pretty clear so what is the green breakdown alluded to in the title of your book, and can it be avoided? Aren't, aren't blackouts – in my, in my analysis is blackouts and grid failures have been rising as we've added more intermittent wind and solar power to the grid. Yes. So tell us about the breakdown, the coming breakdown, and can it be avoided? So the breakdown, I think, is, is, occurring, is going to – occur in four ways. The first is higher energy and higher electricity prices, as we mentioned. Um, in the United States, uh, we can see data from the Energy Information Administration. Back in uh, 2013, 14, and 15, we had about three hours of, of electricity outage. Uh, that's the average per customer across the nation. Uh, that is now running about seven or eight uh, hours of outage per year. It's it's more than doubled, and it's going to be going much higher. Um, and we've talked about the rising energy 
prices as well. So rising prices, rising blackouts. The other things about blackouts is uh, we've seen some big ones. We saw the one in Texas in February of 2021, uh, Oklahoma as well, blackouts in California. Texas was was really significant. Uh, uh, power was off for 72 hours for four and a half million people. And as the estimates are as high as 700 deaths. I mean, that, that's like a very large hurricane. It's not a small thing. Uh, California let's, has had black. Go ahead. Let me give you a little anecdote there. So, because I'm in Texas, right? Yeah. So, okay. um, our power went out. Um, I, 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 I hunt. You may not know that, but I, uh, I uh, hunted a buffalo once, and I had a big blanket made of my buffalo. Okay. Died, and my <laughs> wife thinks it's hideous, and so I have to keep it in a closet. She said, "When does it ever get cold enough in Texas that we have to?" use that blanket and she sort yeah. of had a point until february <laughs> of 2021 when the power went know? out uh for 36 hours the temperature inside our home dropped into the low 50s and yeah. she said why don't you break out that buffalo blanket that you got yeah. suddenly it was useful and valuable and uh like you say you know hundreds of people died and this had never happened in mind you this had never happened in Texas before on a large scale yeah. don't get me wrong sometimes ice forms on power lines uh transformers yes. blow that can happen so that's a local event this was a statewide event millions and millions of people and yep. the uh, largely responsible for it were two things uh wind and solar went from uh accounting for about 48% of the power supplied in the two days because the wind had been blowing uh, before the uh, before the storm came in and the uh, sun had been shining. And then it dropped off to almost zero. Yeah, uh, under 3%. Yeah, yeah. under 3%. Um, so you go, oh, well, we'll just kick on the natural gas and coal. Well, most of the coal has been shut down, so that wasn't really an option. They had to fire up some boilers that had been shuttered, but the uh, <laughs> the regulator they said we got to devote all the natural gas power. We got to devote all the heat to uh, residences, and you say, yeah. oh well, that makes sense. Except they diverted it away from the switching stations for natural gas, and so the switching yeah. stations froze up. And the natural gas couldn't get through, and then a, a you know climate alarmists, people who praise wind and solar, they said, oh, see, natural gas failed too. Yeah, but that was not because... Well, it did. Yeah, it right. did. But you can't build a system on 3% output. There's no way. Yeah, um, and, natural and it gas, failed because of human, act, uh, human stupidity. Natural gas is good, but it actually... Uh, uh, some people have called it just-in-time energy, just-in-time electricity, because if it, you know, it's got to flow through the pipeline. We can't store it. We, we don't have the facilities to store a lot of it. So if it gets cut off for some reason, it's, you know, one thing about coal is, you, you de well, you definitely have to handle the emissions and pollution from coal. I'm not talking carbon dioxide now, I'm talking about other things, but most of our plants do that. But you can pile coal up on your site and have, you know, mounds of it, weeks of it sitting there, and nuclear never goes out either. But uh, gas is, uh, yeah. you nope. start retiring all those coal things, uh, you've got a little bit of an issue with gas. Uh, some coal plants store as much as six months coal. Uh, on yeah. site, but it doesn't yeah, matter if you've got the coal mm -hmm. sitting there, but the plant shut down because of regulations. Right, 
The other thing that happened in Texas is for the people that had power on, some of them got electricity bills as high as $10,000 for a single week. Ask my sister. I'm not, Ask my sister. I'm not sure how that was resolved, but I know there are a lot of legal suits, and they recently said that uh, ERCOT does, isn't liable. <laughs> so I, I, I hope they've done something for the people with those big, big electricity bills, but uh, another problem as well. So... Um, any more on blackouts? Like we could talk about well, California let's, let's, a little bit. Let's, like. let's, now we got we got to wrap up pretty soon. So I want to give you a, okay. Some, so uh, in closing, so big picture, if there was one key point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion today, Steve, what would it be? Uh, so uh, people have to get better educated here. We have a breakdown coming, and I think uh, many people in the population don't realize what we're headed for. Those mean higher energy prices, electricity blackouts. The third is less freedom. We didn't have time to talk about that, but that means taking away your gas stove and taking away your gasoline vehicle because uh, the EPA is going to make it impossible to produce a line of internal combustion engine cars uh, within about 10 years. And then we're also going to have transnational energy shocks um, like they've had in Europe uh, with gas prices doubled and electricity prices up three or four times. So this breakdown is coming. It's going to take a couple decades for this to occur. Uh, people should watch for this. And it's really important when they when they go to the polls and vote to vote for people that are going to use sensible energy policy, not try and push green zero, not try and uh, uh, control uh, global temperatures, because it, it isn't clear that we're able to do that. Uh, and by the way, they ought to go pick up my book where all this is explained, Green Breakdown. They can get it at my website, stevegoram.com, G-O-R-E-H-A-M, a signed copy. Or it's on Amazon. There are also eBooks on Amazon, Apple, and other areas. Yeah. Well, now, I, I, I said I want to give you just a little bit more time to discuss okay. <laughs> the freedom part because the freedom part's important. Yeah. You, you're ta- you, you, you mentioned they're taking away appliances and automobiles, right. fossil fuel. but doesn't that exacerbate the breakdown problem because you're pushing more people onto the grid at the same time as the grid is becoming less reliable, right? Yeah, electric, that's pretty uh, remarkable. Electric vehicles <laughs> have to have electricity to work. Uh, uh, electric stoves have to have electricity to work. My gas stove worked during the, the blackout. <laughs> My refrigerator didn't. Uh, yeah, right. So, so, so uh, they want they want it. So they want it. So not only your uh, your lights don't work, but they want your stove not to work and your car not to work. <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy. And there was a there was some press a couple months ago, California, when they were having uh, they were on the edge of of not having enough power. They told everybody, we don't want you to charge your car. <laughs> yeah. they, we so, want you yeah, to have this, an electric car, but we just don't want you to charge it. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, th- this whole climate thing is crazy either. So if if you talk to the climate people, they all say the weather's getting worse. It's getting it's getting uh, stronger and harder to predict and all that. So what do they want you to do? Well, let's put in all these uh, weather-dependent energy sources, right? We'll put in a whole lot of wind and solar, which are directly dependent on the weather. Uh, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of this that just doesn't make any economic or, or rational sense. I forget where it was recently. Uh... I want to say Colorado or I think it's Wyoming, where they put in a big, big solar farm and a hailstorm came through and destroyed all the yeah. solar panels. I think it was it was Nebraska or Oklahoma. That was just amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. only about a year old. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And when you see the see the picture of this thing, it just about every panel is destroyed. So yeah. 
Tornado uh, comes through the Midwest, as well. tears down uh, uh, wind turbines and solar panels. Hurricanes strike the coast. Everyone says, oh, Florida's got so much sun. It turns out it doesn't have as much sun as you think because uh, it's rainy a lot. But uh, they say, Florida's got so much sun, let's put in solar and wind. Well, <laughs> until a hurricane comes through. And, uh, uh, and you know what you don't want during a hurricane is to rely on uh, electric power generated by something that's going to be shut off because of high winds yeah. or destroyed because of high winds. Uh, you want your hospitals and your emergency personnel to be able to get around using fossil fuels, which are reliable and work. Uh, in the weather. Yeah. So a breakdown's coming. People are going to push back. They're going to say, you know, I want to return to a sensible lower cost energy. This is just way too expensive. By the way, this hurts the, the lower income folks the most. Uh, the people that have a Tesla, they don't care so much, but boy, if you, if you can't use uh, gas appliances in your house, if you're forced to put solar cells on your roof by codes, uh, those things make housing prices very expensive. Uh, operating uh, your appliances very expensive. Uh, really tough on the low-income people, and and that's rarely discussed. Yeah, they they spend more money on their uh, on food and fuel as a percentage of their income than than relatively yep. wealthy people, right? And and yep. and stuff like food is very energy intensive and dependent. So it, it's even worse. You know, it's doubly bad for them. They get they get stuck with the high energy bills and the food bills due to high energy also are higher. Yep, absolutely. Steve, it's been good to speak with you again. I hope we do it again soon. In the meantime, I want to thank you for coming on the show on behalf of myself and our listeners and give you one more opportunity to tell them how to get your book. Yeah, Green Breakdown, the, the coming uh, renewable energy failure, Amazon, uh, my website, stevegorham.com, uh, ebooks as well. And uh, that'll prepare people for what's coming. And, hey, maybe you want to go ahead and get that uh, that backup generator. I hope you don't have to do that. But <laughs> yeah, your power may not be there when you need it. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of putting some money into a Generac stock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Hartland's website as we continue to follow the work of Steve Gorham on climate and energy issues. Please also continue to follow us as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. Also, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. You might also jump on our Climate Change Roundtable live stream every Friday on your favorite social media streaming service, where Anthony Watts, Linnea Lucan, myself, and regular guests now uh, discuss the climate topic of the week and uh, a longer-term longer time climate issues as well, complete with taking questions from viewers. This week, for instance, we have physicist Will Happer and uh, 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 ecologist Patrick Moore, founder, uh, former member and founder of co-founder of Greenpeace, coming on to discuss global greening. Thanks for joining us. Take care and bye.